Previously on Caustic Soda. Hey, Ray. Do you remember something in the Bible about the last days when the dead would rise from the grave? I remember Revelation 7:12. And I looked as he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the moon became as blood, and the seas boiled, and the skies fell. Judgment Day. Judgment Day. Every ancient religion has its own myth about the end of the world. Myth? Ray, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason we've been so busy lately is because the dead have been rising from the grave? How about a little music? In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Joe Fulgham. Kevin Leeson. Lauren Atkinson. Robert M. Price. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. In the news, October 2012 from the Christian Post. World Bible Society President Dr. F. Kenton Beshore has said that based on a lifetime of study, he believes that the rapture is likely to occur before the year 2021, while the second coming of Jesus Christ will happen between 2018 and 2028. Okay. All right. There are 144,000 Jews during the tribulation who are going to turn to the Lord, 86-year-old Bashor said. Now we are all going to be gone following the rapture. He hopes to inspire believers to get prepared for the greatest opportunity for worldwide evangelism in the last 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Bashor, who began his ministry at age 19 and has earned five doctoral degrees in theology, today leads the World Bible Society, a Christian organization that has distributed nearly 60 million copies of the Bible to over 65 nations around the world. And distributed an eye-gouging website to uh, <laughs> everybody on the internet. Wow. Oh, that is, there's a lot of uh, primary colors on yeah. that website. Well, we're not all web designers like you, Joe. <laughs> You'd think God would have a couple of those somewhere, though. (laughs) Dr. Bashor has also released a book, When the Rapture Will Take Place, very inventively titled, Mm -hmm. where he urges for the spiritual awakening of the masses so they can watch for the fulfillment of those prophecies. Okay. Dr. Bashor's efforts are focused on uh, the seven-year period of the tribulation, where he hopes 144,000 Jews are going to turn to Christ. The theologian insists that no one can know the exact date of when Jesus will return, but there can be arguments made for the approximate time frame. That's how he came up with this 2018 to 2028 range. There can be arguments made for the exact time as well. Arguments can be made for almost anything. (laughs) I've made arguments for aliens. You can make arguments for uh, people rolling dice and that generating the words that are in the prophecy. Mm Mm-hmm. 
He also claims that people living during the time of Noah were given more than 100 years of warning before the Great Flood, and that Lot and his family were warned before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Then why was Noah so surprised? <laughs> Jesus was saying, in effect, that when you see the birth pains, World War I and II, and famines, pestilences, and earthquakes, you will know that his return is drawing near. Oh, yeah. Except for the famines, pestilences, and earthquakes throughout human history. Like they, wars. It's not like, it's yeah. not like the, the, this is a new thing. No, no, I think but, but everyone, this one, Kevin, the, this time. I think everyone feels like it's a new thing and that they're happening more frequently or constantly because we have a 24-hour news cycle. If they had <laughs> CNN 3,000 years ago, you know, they would have predicted the apocalypse. Oh, wait, they did that then too. Yeah, if there's one thing that we've learned from doing Caustic Soda for the past three years, it's that there is weird and gross and disturbing things happening all the time everywhere. Which is what makes this thing possible to go on for three years. It's awesome. And then also uh, in somewhat recent history, uh, in 1994, physicist and intelligent design advocate Frank J. Tipler published a book called The Physics of Immortality in which he claimed to scientifically prove the existence of God as a consequence of what he calls the Omega Point Theory. The physics, wait a minute, of <laughs> immortality. This is a person who does not understand basic physics. <laughs> oh, I, although in our jellyfish episode, we did talk about an immortal jellyfish. That's true. Uh, in 2007, he published a sequel to The Physics of Immortality called The Physics of Christianity, which applied the principles of the Omega Point Theory to the Christian religion. In the 2007 book, he asserts in the first chapter that the second coming of Christ will occur within 50 years, i.e. by 2057. Is it too strong to say the physics of Christianity might be an oxymoron? Yeah, what else can you say? <laughs> that's pretty much all I have uh, for news. Is there any is there any other thing that's been happening in uh, in Christianity uh, apocalypse-wise that you're aware <laughs> well, of, uh, Robert? The Pope is stepping down. That's true. I'm sure yeah. some people are going to take that as a sign. According to the prophecies of St. Malachi, which is a medieval thing, this one must be the last papacy, uh, the last uh, papal administration, the one coming up. I'm sorry, whoever replaces uh, Pope Ratzinger. Okay. So that'll be another uh, log on the fire of apocalyptic fever, unfortunately. Of course, it might be like the Mayan calendar that uh, that it doesn't mean, maybe they'll just abolish the papacy. It won't be the end of the world. Who knows? Right. But of course, I'm, I'm pretty sure a big lot of nothing will happen. Oh, I'm sure the papacy will go on. There'll probably be somebody calling themselves the Pope, but I mean, we can hope that, you know, they just live in a shack and make predictions that nobody pays attention as to. As long as they keep uh, polishing the Pope-mobile, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Still uh, my uh, favorite candidate is my mother-in-law. I think she's going to be uh, <laughs> elected. And, uh, in fact, I've written a news release uh, for that already. Oh, nice. For is, that eventuality. Is that because of her giant hat? <laughs> uh, well, uh, she'd look pretty good in one, but uh, she's more Catholic than the Pope already. Oh, and, wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so I, I have uh, projections of what she's going to do, like moving the Vatican to Puerto Vallarta, where <laughs> she is at the moment, and so on. So I have a hunch uh, she'll be the first. And she's going to be called the Mope. Oh, <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> hey, as long as she wasn't in the Hitler Youth, she's a step ahead of our, the current Pope as it is. Oh, man. Here's the thing. I, I, I love making fun of him as much as the next guy but that's the thing he couldn't help like he was listen i i know this is going to suck coming from me defending him he was a teenager in germany at the time he couldn't help it let's get him for right. all the fucking shit that he deserves to get shit on for uh, i was taking it as the tip of the pardon iceberg. my french mm -hmm. but the, it's a again like he could have there i'm sure there are lots of people who were in the hitler youth who ended up being wonderful people like like we're like man i hated that my parents made me go 
Uh-huh. I want to ignore it's those like things that are kind of irrelevant. School. I'm just waiting wanna... for People Magazine to come up with that list of like all the Hitler Youth that turned into great people. <laughs> the top 10 <laughs> Hitler Youth that went on to do great things. Well, I had a parishioner, an old man who had been forcibly uh, made to join the Hitler Youth, uh, and he certainly wanted nothing to do with any of that anymore. I'm sure there were a lot of people like that. I, I know that that's the quick and easy like insult to go on him, but no, there's way too many relevant ones to go for. Uh, I skip right. over that. Right Long away. live the mope. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can we call Ratzinger the dope? <laughs> <laughs> Someone stole Gabriel's horn There'll be weeping, there'll be gnashing There'll be fighting, there'll be clashing When the Lord steps down in front to say That someone stole Gabriel's horn Oh, 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 Gabriel took so long to learn it Oh, 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 won't the finder please return it They'll be hopping like a pigeon They'll be shouting sweet religion But they'll all be left on judgment day Cause someone stole Gabriel's horn Let's move to pop culture. Robert, do you have a favorite uh, biblical apocalypse movie? Uh, I think it would have to be either The Omen or the third one in the series, The Final Conflict. I, I may like that one even more than the original. Two uh, Omen movies. Nice. 
Yeah, they're really loads of fun. The the third one is kind of cheesy in some spots, but there's so many neat things in it uh, that especially when uh, Damien Thorne goes up to that chapel and has that bizarre crucifix up there and begins to pray to his father, the devil, that is really fascinating. <laughs> nice. So how accurate is the Omen series to uh, to what is uh, stated in the the, uh, the literature? Uh, not very. The idea that uh, the Antichrist himself bears the brand of a 666, I don't think that ever comes up in any of the literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that uh, Christ is going to be reborn uh, on Earth is certainly not part of the tradition. I know the final conflict pulls the rug out from under that at the last minute, and Christ appears as an adult. Uh, but in the original screenplay, he he was reborn, and Damien couldn't get his mitts on him because he was born to uh, a group of gypsies in the countryside, and there were no no uh, what uh, birth records for him to use to hunt him down. Uh, that probably would have been a better way to go, actually, for the movie. But uh, that's uh, and the idea of the comet. Well, there are there. There's the comet Wormwood uh, that uh, pollutes the the water in the book of Revelation, but Mm. the idea that his birth is heralded by a star as Jesus was, that's not in there. Not that I'm blaming him. I'm glad they use some ingenuity. And I love the scene where in the beginning of it, uh, Damien is talking to his oblivious uh, right-hand man, Harvey, and he's explaining how he has to go to England because there's a prophecy that the Lamb of God will appear from the angel isle and he says this is from an obscure book of the Septuagint Bible of course it's not uh, the <laughs> book of uh, Hebron uh, there's no such book and uh, certainly not in the Septuagint and then he says uh, the original Latin has so and so Angelorum England the Latin the, the Septuagint is Greek he, he's thinking of the Vulgate though it's not in there either so I mean it's the all just a research. tissue of errors <laughs> yeah. but it's great or the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the seven daggers uh, that's not in there at all but it's great i yeah, just love yeah. that myth making that they're doing now i know why yeah. they call you the bible geek yeah no <laughs> kidding i have some imdb trivia about the omen okay uh, as part mm. of its pre-release publicity campaign and to point out the significance of the three sixes as a sign of satan the movie was sneak previewed nationwide in the usa on the 6th of june 1976 <laughs> If only it had been made in 66. Though don't they say Damien was born on June 6, 1966, or am I mixing that up with something? I didn't actually see the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really good. I, I And the the remake was very good I, also. I saw, I've seen the original back in the day when I was a kid, and I saw the remake, and I thought the remake did a really good job. I was actually pretty yeah. impressed myself. There was sort of no point in doing it, but once mm-hmm. they did, it was really good, I have to admit. Yeah, and it, it was like really similar to the original, and they just uh, you know had the advantage of you know updating it. Yeah, I loved Mia Farrow as Mrs. Baylock. Mm-hmm. Uh, she should have been in a, a movie of the sequel to Rosemary's Baby uh, that Ira Levin wrote uh, called Son of Rosemary, which was terrific. It was a really good sequel to the original, but it was done on the brink of the millennium, and that figured into the plot, and nobody did a movie of it. 
too darn bad. It was really good, and she was still Ooh. around. I wish they had. Because, right. of course, that's an Antichrist movie also. Yeah, yeah. And a super good one. Yeah. Charlton Heston, Roy Scheider, Dick Van Dyke, and William Holden turned down the lead role for the original Omen. Oh, wow. Gregory Peck accepted the lead, of course. And William Holden starred in the sequel, Damien, uh, The Omen 2. I didn't know he had been offered the uh, the role of the first one. That the, he would have been good, that's for sure. That's what the internet tells me. I mean, it's not ah. surprising. I mean, you you typically go out to a bunch of different actors before you finally settle on the one that you get, right? And those sort of like Hollywood is littered with all those stories about people who turn things down. Yeah, and they end up being amazing. And yeah, and then the movie ends up going on doing great things, right? Did you ever see the Saturday Night Live uh, skits where they show the? audition tapes of uh, Jack Lemon uh, auditioning to play Chewbacca yes. or uh, <laughs> uh, Walter Cronkite playing the gimp uh, for the Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's, it's Kevin Spacey doing a bunch of characters. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Walter Matthau for Obi-Wan Kenobi, Barbara Streisand for Princess Leah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Burt Reynolds is Darth Solo. Vader. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fast Ship You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> so who here has seen The Rapture, the 1991 David Duchovny, Mimi Rogers film? I have oh, that is definitely. a heck of a flick. That is great stuff. <laughs> There's lots of sex and debauchery early on, which uh, if you're a fan of that sort of stuff, then uh, you get your fill of that. And then it kind of goes into this whole... You know, they sort of turn their lives around and get caught up with a cult and uh, they believe in the end of days and that the rapture is going to happen and they're sort of planning for it the whole way along. And yeah, and it, uh, I, I don't want to give away the ending because uh, I think that people should probably go out and see it, even though it didn't get make a big splash even when it came out back in the 90s. But uh I enjoyed it. That was a very powerful movie, and I love the fact that they have her as this libertine who's just a sexual adventurous and mm -hmm. and comes to find that this is a completely hollow life and is redeemed from it by getting into this uh, cult. I mean, nothing overtly harmful except that it makes her believe in the end of the age, and, mm -hmm. and she starts taking it too seriously, and it's like she simply flipped the coin, that in both she's trying to escape the mundane and in, in both cases is into something essentially terrible though it ha in both cases it has a deceptively benign face on it right. yes. and then the way it winds up it's right out of Dostoevsky yeah. uh, who's going to forgive God what a movie it, I, the one thing I did take away from it because Duchovny was still doing uh, X-Files at the time right? Right. no he hadn't this was pre-X-Files what year wait what year is the rapture uh, 1991 X-Files 1993 was yeah, it was 1993 oh. yep. okay so uh, I mean I thought Duchovny was one of the weaker parts of it. I didn't think he was that great. So when Though he he's some... not really supposed to be. He's yeah. supposed to be a kind of a passive figure that gets swept along, and he also is suddenly in over his head. Uh, every shocking thing in yeah. that movie you can parallel more than once from the news. Every odd and horrifying thing is is real. I agree with you that it was it was really you know well conceived and there was a lot of great themes in it and stuff like that. I just thought that Duchovny of the of, if there's anything to criticize about the film, <laughs> right. it was him. You notice how they brought their team back in the latter years of the X Files. Mimi Rogers came back in it as his old uh, lover and partner. Oh, I, really? I can't believe that had nothing to do with the movie. I'm sure Chris yeah. Carter liked the Rapture. That's hilarious. Yeah, probably. Uh, there's also the 2001 movie Left Behind with Kirk Cameron. <laughs> we have spoken. 
of this before. Yeah. I've read the books. Uh, I wrote about them in the paperback apocalypse, but I've never seen the movies. Well, it wasn't that great, let me tell you. (laughs) They shot it pretty cheaply, I understand that. What I haven't figured out yet, and what I'm wondering is, was Kirk Cameron a huge fundamentalist when they made that movie, or did that... Yes, Yes, I think he was. He was the catalyst behind it all. Oh, okay. Yeah, that he felt it was his calling to make these movies and spread the word. Yeah, Kirk has been uh, going around with Ray Comfort. That's one of the uh, evangelists who talks about how... Uh, the banana fits perfectly in our hand. That's how we know that th- right. that there's a God and He loves us. Intelligent design. And he keeps talking about it, even though people point out over and over again that's not what natural bananas look like. We mm-hmm. we grew those and and made them look that way. Mm-hmm. I, but anyway, charlatan. yeah. I mean, these guys really merit uh, William Harwood's epithet of being brain amputees. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, once again. I mean, they are such disgraces to Christianity that whatever problems you may have about the Trinity or the problem of evil, that's a whole different shooting match. These idiots are just making it ridiculous. They continuously bring up already completely disproved arguments over and over again. I don't know if they are idiots or if they are just doing this to sell their books, because from what I've seen some from some behind the scenes stuff with Ray Comfort, the man just has effectively a factory of books that just keep getting sold on the Internet for him. So and the movie producer side of me has to actually be quite impressed because I think the budget for this film was like a couple hundred thousand dollars and it's sold like more than 30 or 40 million dollars in copies or something. Because they just go around to all the evangelical churches, and then everybody in the church buys a copy, right? Yeah. Mm. And they're selling them for nineteen ninety nine, and uh, it was <laughs> oh, yeah. a uh, you know just a fraction of uh, of what they actually used to make yeah. the movie, it, right? Well, like, Kirk Cameron made a shitload of money. Yeah. He's making it rain. Well, of all of the biblical post-apocalyptic mo- or apocalyptic movies I've watched, this one seems to have the most direct correlations to what's described in, in the Bible. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's got the, the well, peace think, yeah, accords he, and the uh, Antichrist doing a, kind of like the flip-flop well, and he's, everything. He's probably not much of a screenwriter, so <laughs> it's probably just a lot easier to crib it to directly derive, yeah, yeah. from the Bible. It doesn't need to actually make up anything cool and creative like they do in The Omen or The Rapture. Well, I noticed in the books... And that series, which I think actually are reasonably well written. Uh, Jerry Jenkins, I think it is, is I'm sure he's the actual writer. I think uh, probably uh, Tim LaHaye. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he just created or contributed the uh, bad theology. Uh, but uh, but Jenkins, though he's he's a fundamentalist, he's a gifted writer, and uh, that's why the things are readable at all. But mm-hmm. there's an, a weird inconsistency how the action veers between uh, symbolic and literal interpretations of things so that uh, uh, the revived Roman Empire turns out to be the United Nations or whatever, but the locusts from the bottomless pit are, are Ma- Toho Studios monsters. <laughs> and there's no rationale as to why it's not all reasoned um, you know, historical things that have been allegorized versus monsters and demons. And it just, uh, that, that's a major problem. With so he, it, he it just, he, he cherry picks, he picks and chooses what he uh, describes as literal and what is, you know, metaphor derived metaphorically. I mean, and it matters because, uh, throughout the book, we're, we're given a kind of a, rhetorical commentary on it by Bible interpreters who are characters in the story and there's no particular reason I mean they they sort of owe the reader 
uh, an explanation for expecting this and that to happen, and then it does when it's just uh, almost random. But uh, they, I was surprised the books are as good as they are because there have been some really awful end-of-the-world novels oh, yeah. by oh, yeah. Christians. Sure. I found the movie to be quite boring for uh, the most part, um, but reading the description of Left Behind 2, Tribulation Force... Tribulation That's Force. not the real title. Is it, it is the real title. Uh, Tribulation Force. After the rapture and the revealing of the identity of the Antichrist, a group of converts formed the Tribulation Force, a secret society with the sole purpose of converting non-believers to Christianity. Good yeah, you better Lord. keep that secret because... Sounds slightly more interesting in, in a certain way. Well, they're trying to, <laughs> and sort of successfully, to give it a kind of techno-thriller feel, feel right. in a way, and uh, they do a pretty decent job of that, so that it sounds kind of silly, but they're, they're uh, and it is, but it's just like a kind of a Christian attempt at a... A die Hard movie or something. Yeah, okay. yeah. There's action with the heroes and heroines, and I don't blame them for that. That's fine with me. Uh, but it's the the way they take so earnestly the silliness of fundamentalist devotionalism. It it just seems ridiculous when the two uh, witnesses of Revelation appear, and it's Moses and Elijah. They've got uh, Moses witnessing to somebody as if he's just a born again teenager. It just seems re- <laughs> utterly ludicrous. Uh, and it shows what a non-historical view of the Bible these people have. They can't really picture uh, the the scope of, of what's being described there. Hmm. Well, it has been confirmed that a remake to the Left Behind film series is currently in the works by Cloud 10 Pictures. The article on the Cloud 10 website states, Cloud 10 Pictures plans on producing a big-budget, wide theatrical release based on the groundbreaking original Left Behind novel. According to the article, Cloud 10 is aiming for production to begin on March 18th, 2013 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hmm. God may bring you the message, but uh, you need Louisiana for the tax credits. (laughs) (laughs) I also watched last night End of Days from 1999 with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Gabriel Byrne as uh, the dude possessed by Satan. Mm -hmm. How was that? (sighs) (laughs) It had the advantage of being an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie without any quips and one-liners. Oh, really? None of that ever happens. He didn't impale Satan and go, stick around. He didn't shoot a demon in the head and go, you're forgiven. No. <laughs> so it wasn't really like even a typical Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Like, I get the sense that anyone could have done, could have played that role. role. Yeah, okay. I mean, he, there was a lot of guns and whatnot, but it wasn't really, it was it was more leaning towards horror than action in many ways. Okay. okay. Yeah, I thought that movie was a lot better better than one might have expected. There were some pretty interesting things in it, though. On the whole, of course, it uh, there's no masterpiece, but uh, the only thing to wince at, I thought, was hearing Arnold use crude obscenities with an Austrian accent. It just <laughs> seemed to be like totally wrong. Uh, but there were a lot of things in it that were pretty good. I, Rod Steiger plays this Catholic priest, and um, they have Arnold bring up some kind of obvious criticism of the end of the world scenario right but how do you know it's supposed to be so and so and then steiger just throws it back in his teeth and said you idiot it's not that simple and he explains it oh oh okay i, I thought that that's an unusual thing the character isn't a know-it-all and uh, mm. there mm-hmm. were a lot of odd little items that were made that uh, a lot better than i would have thought uh, the thing i noticed about it is that almost everything like a, apart from the fact that there's all this biblical stuff in it there was all of the plot points were extremely unlikely. Mm-hmm. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger was this bodyguard who was hired by his company to protect 
Gabriel Byrne for some reason, and that really wasn't stated as to why that happened. And okay. then that that just kind of went away after after the first you know ten minutes, and then all this other kind of seemingly random stuff happened. Mm-hmm. But Gabriel Byrne as uh, Satan was pretty good. Yeah, so, well, Gabriel Byrne's going really good actor. Yeah, so fine, fine you know, actor, you yeah. kind of like throw him into just about anything. He's going to be pretty good. Uh, he's in uh, in Stigmata, which is about a discovery of a non canonical gospel, and uh, this this Catholic scholar who had been trying to champion these apocryphal gospels against the repressive regime of the church somehow uh, takes possession of this woman to try to get the thing published and that is very interesting that's a, a sort of an allied genre of of uh, lost gospel novels and movies but he was in that and he's he's really good as you say in almost yeah. anything also, Udo Kier stars as um, the um, there's a, there's a girl. The character's name is Christine York, and she's supposed to be the girl that Satan makes love to uh, at the end of the millennium to create the Antichrist. To create the Antichrist, I guess. Okay. okay. Some, when when yeah. Satan does it, is it really making love? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, they kind of approach it from an interesting angle. She's had like visions her entire life of making love with with Gabriel Byrne. So yeah. when the time comes, she's like, you know, he's like, uh, you know, you want it, and she kind of suggests that to Arnold Schwarzenegger like I don't want to meet him because I'm worried that I will want it when yeah. I when I meet him and all this other kind of stuff yeah I think he probably coins it as like making evil <laughs> it's right? not making love it's making evil yeah. um, and Udo Kier plays uh, her physician and uh, Miriam Margolius, who you may remember from Black Adder do you remember the episode of Black oh, Adder oh. where they all get drunk and wear fake boobs Yes, that's yeah. Black Adder too. She was like the total puritanical kind of matronly oh, yeah. lady. Okay, so she plays one of the nurses of the hospital where she's born, and she does. She takes him down, the baby down to the basement to have all these secret rites done on it before right. they so give it back to the parents. She's and... the satanic nurse in this equation. Exactly. She's a exactly. Professor Sprout in the Harry Potter. Uh, there you movies. go. Professor oh, by the way, Satanic Nurses, the uh, less popular sequel to that Salman Rushdie book. <laughs> 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 Udo Kier claimed in an interview that he was considered for the role of Satan in the film, but the producers didn't want both the hero and villain to have German-Austrian accents. So he was cast in that secondary role. Yeah, that would be kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. And Sam Raimi was offered the director's chair for this film, but he declined in order to make For Love of the Game. Huh. For Love of the Game was probably a better movie than this. Never heard of that, I don't think. It was a baseball movie starring uh, Kevin Costner. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that does not really cut down on which movie it could be, though. <laughs> yes, true enough. <laughs> There's a whole subgenre that fits under that banner. Is there any uh, movies or even TV shows that you can think of, uh, Robert, that I may have missed? Well, uh, Devil's Advocate, uh, though it only gets into the end of the world stuff at the end, it has the same basic premise that this guy turns out to be Satan and uh, this fellow, he's tempted, he's trying to, is his son, which he finds out later, uh, Keanu Reeves's character mm-hmm. tempted through pride uh, he wants him to uh, right. mate with his half sister to bring forth the Antichrist that's a very interesting flick his half sister uh, played by Charlize Theron the oh so lovely Charlize <laughs> Theron no that's uh, that's oh, no. his uh, wife, wife the other sorry. one I don't know what the woman's name is yeah but Charlize Theron was the only reason to watch this movie <laughs> you didn't like it oh I hated it What'd you not like about it? Al Pacino was just over the top, just so devilish right from the first instant. Like, 
the devils that I like, you know, cinematically. <laughs> yes. Right. Like take Constantine. Right. You got mm-hmm. um, the blonde dude from Fargo plays Satan at the end of that movie. Peter Stormare. Peter, Peter Stormare. Yeah. And he's this really understated, like simmering, like malevolent Satan. Yeah, I loved him. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the um, uh, the prophecy, uh, I think it's Viggo Mortensen plays the devil in that one. Right. The same right. sort of thing. You just sense that he's evil, right? And uh, Al Pacino mm-hmm. in The Devil's Advocate is kind of like, oh, hey, I'm evil. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is big old, like, you know, the devil meets scent of a woman, right? Hooah, evil, right? Yeah. And it just drove me insane. And then Keanu Reeves can't act, right? Yeah. So every element of nuance is completely leached out of the movie. But Charlize yeah. Theron was very nice to look at. Well, she did a good job acting, too. I kind of like Pacino's <laughs> devil, uh, but uh, I see what you mean. You know, I was watching that porn the other day, and the plot was terrible, but those chicks were hot. <laughs> like, honestly, well, that's what it sounded like I, to me. I tell you, The Devil's Advocate uh, would have been a lot better if there had been some porn mixed in. Right, it would have improved it greatly. All right, let me go on to talk about my favorite post-apocalyptic. Not post-apocalyptic. Uh, my, my favorite biblical apocalypse tale. Uh, it has not been made into a movie or yet. yet. Uh, we've talked about it several times during our Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse series. It's the novel by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, Good Omens, with the subtitle, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which... Mm-hmm. Have you read this book, Rob? I know of it, but I've not read it. Oh, uh, you! I think that you would love this book. <laughs> it's a comedy. I like to describe it as Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but instead of science fiction, it's about the, the omen. Rapture, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the end of the world. Uh, and it's about the birth of the son of Satan, or at least he's not born, he's brought, and then he's supposed to be switched with uh, a child who was born. He was supposed to be switched with the son of an American diplomat. It's set in England. And he's supposed to be switched with the son of an American diplomat. So basically he becomes Damien from the Damien uh-huh. movies. But there's a mix-up at the hospital because of the satanic nurses mm-hmm. there running the hospital. And one of them scatterbrained and accidentally misunderstands which baby is which. And Satan's son ends up going to an everyday average working class, working class uh, <laughs> British couple. So the son that accidentally goes to the American diplomat, who's not their son, gets raised with all this demonic influence. However, an angel, uh, who's one of the characters, Aziraphale, has found out that this is where it's going to happen. So he's sent uh, angelic influences to uh, in the part of a gardener to teach this kid to be good. Mm-hmm. So his his nanny is teaching him to crush the world and make it do everything ever. And the gardener is telling him to be nice to people. But then it turns out he's not even the son of Satan. Right. And they don't find this out until 10 years later that the kid just raised, got born and or raised as a regular English kid with his group of friends. And he causes some problems. But as he hits 10 or 11 years old, his powers start to manifest and nobody is controlling him. Mm. So it goes from there. It's, hilarious it's but also it's got that neil gaiman knowledge of the the occult stories and things like that Hmm. i don't know how if i'd call it accurate exactly because you know it plays fast and loose but it the angel very much talks about humorous end which is usually a good way to go if you're gonna play fast and loose with source material right make it funny yes But it's got it's also got a great great ending to it because you've got you've basically got the forces of hell and the forces of heaven and both sides want the apocalypse for they both think they're going to win 
Yeah. Hell thinks no, the prediction's wrong. We're gonna we gotta do this and we're gonna win. And heaven thinks, yeah, it's part of the ineffable plan. We've got to go through and do this. Uh, and in the meantime, there's the angel Aziraphale and his friend, who's a demon, who is an angel who not so much fell as sauntered vaguely downwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> his name is Crowley, and the two of them are basically trying to just make it so the apocalypse doesn't happen. Because they kind of like Earth because the way they're it like, is. look, I I like Earth. Earth is cool. And the demon t- talks to Aziraphale and goes, "Listen, if you guys win, how many good musicians do you have up in heaven? None. <laughs> We've got them all. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil too much. It's lovely, awesome little film so, or little book. Sorry. And there's been talk about doing a film. Yeah. I mean, I heard a rumor that there was a talk about doing a potentially a TV miniseries. Right. Huh. So in 2002, Terry Gilliam really wanted to do this, but through, and it had a completed script. I guess he couldn't get funding and he was working on other projects. Uh, and there's been talk coming back and forth because Neil Gaiman's uh, stories are becoming very fairly successful uh, movies now. Stardust, uh, Beowulf was not great, but it still did fairly well. Coraline was excellent. I can understand why they would have had trouble raising the money for this picture mm-hmm. because it's got like such it's, a biblical message and it would be epic in scope, yeah. right? So it would cost a lot of money. And so people probably got a little bit gun shy about being able to make their money back. Right. Because Terry Gilliam movies are kind of hit and miss, right? Yeah. And they're all sort of like very visually stimulating and they all have a great production design and all the rest of that stuff. And, you know, sometimes you end up with the 12 Monkeys, but other times you end up with the, uh, you know, uh, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Yeah. Right? Which was mm. still fun, but I don't think made much money. No, exactly. In research for this, I, I, I read this book about once every couple of years. It's a pretty nice, quick read. You know, it's it's several hundred pages and, and quick to get through. But I listened to the audiobook this time because I just had other things I needed to do. And the whole time I was imagining in my head the story being presented as a slightly darker Pixar movie. <laughs> where where Aziraphale, the angel, was played by uh, Stephen Fry. And Crowley the Demon was played by uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. And delivering huh. his lines almost exactly like Tony Stark. <laughs> like, it just would have been perfect. I, I want this to happen now mm-hmm. with Pixar mm. versions of these two trying to prevent the apocalypse. It would be fantastic. Be so wow. Good. So, Robert, I know you've uh, done created a lot of Cthulhu fiction. Yeah, I uh, have to plead guilty to that. <laughs> and I know you've also done a lot of nonfiction theology. Have you ever done any uh, apocalypse, you know, biblical apocalypse fiction? I've done a little bit of uh, theological fiction, uh, but I don't suppose I have really. Well, I, I just wanted to thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Oh, it's a great privilege. I sure enjoyed it. And uh, is there anything you want to plug? I know we can find you at uh, robertmprice.mindvendor.com. That's right, yeah. It's where you can listen to the Bible Geek podcast and also pick up uh, your uh, your fiction there as well. Is that true? Yeah, I do have uh, most of it, or at least a lot of it, posted there, along with old sermons and articles and all kinds of junk. I have a new book that's out uh, about uh, Paul called The Amazing Colossal Apostle, <laughs> The Search for the Historical Paul. Kevin and, loves uh, that. I do love alliteration. A... I do love alliteration, Dr. Price. You're, you're definitely you're right up my alley, sir. Uh, well, I love these old uh, sci-fi titles. This is a follow-up to The Incredible Shrinking Son of Man and uh, <laughs> Night of the Living Savior. 
then I, I've got another one uh, about to come out, uh, written with a friend of mine. It's called Evolving Out of Eden, Christian Responses to Evolution, that I think will be pretty good. Oh, nice. Uh, mm-hmm. New take on all of that. Well, nice. it all sounds terribly interesting. I uh, might have to go out and get a copy of The Amazing Colossal Apostle myself. And I must say, I've been listening to uh, quite a lot of the Bi- Bible Geek uh, podcast recently, and I have no idea what you're talking about, but I just found it. I just found it very... <laughs> and you do a lot of uh, impersonations and uh, and uh, accents and whatnot that uh, always keep it lively. Yeah, I can't believe I do that. I'm making such a fool of myself, but I can't resist. <laughs> I just well, decided. I know you're, you're all alone in your basement there with your computer, reading people's email questions and whatnot, and, uh, you know, you got to keep yourself entertained. Yeah, when I do... Uh, uh, the Old Testament, it's always in a bad child in Heston, boys. <laughs> or uh, Jesus is always Willem Dafoe. And uh, I just decided I'm doing uh, the Apostle Paul as Paul Land. <laughs> so, so, don't be afraid to use your nails, boys. <laughs> yeah, boy. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And stuff like that. Beautiful. <laughs> It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while struggling in a crocodile death roll. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I just want to point out that, like, two of my bad puns made uh, Dr. Robert Price laugh. One of your bad puns was great. Which one was the great? Kind, kind man. Which one was the forgiving nature?